0: hello we are oh are we on yeah i forgot to do the countdown <laughs> okay
1: all is good all is good hello everyone
0: <laughs> welcome to our first ever live stream i apologize in advance
1: <laughs> i think it's we're gonna be we're gonna do great we've got a great plan we've got an incredible show lined up for y'all um, this is the first time we're doing a live stream, though, so I'm sure I am sure we will uh, be learning along the way, but very excited. Um, yeah.
0: so let's dive can- into it, huh? Who are we canceling today? Who are we canceling today? How about we cancel a whole bunch of people? I mean, we are live after all, right. But how about we start with Spotify?
1: that that is one of the big ones on the list and we're also gonna be canceling uh, i think substack and netflix and a lot of other things there's gonna be lots of canceling tonight
0: <laughs> i mean we have to take our licks in while we're live on the air right
1: <laughs> oh absolutely absolutely um i'm a, i'm a little bit nervous right now
0: are you well I, what makes you nervous
1: um, I don't know. I just, like, I'm feeling, like, overwhelmed in a good way. But, you yeah. know, it's, like, the first time we're doing something, so it's a new thing.
0: Yeah, I, well, you know, we won't have the, the luxury of your amazing editing skills for this one. So, fuck it, we're doing it live. <laughs> 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 um, so, uh, we are going to be taking questions from our audience. and You can ask those questions in our Discord, which you've heard us... Um, promote before Uh, and you can do that by becoming a supporter on Patreon I imagine a lot of you already are and we'd greatly appreciate you um, so so much we we wouldn't be able to make this show without all of you Um, and the discord's been popping off lately it's uh it's kind of a happening place to be.
1: Vibrant community over
0: there. Yeah. Lots
1: of canceling happening I'm here for it.
0: Um, Do you want to go through some of our other guests today?
1: Uh, we have so many incredible folks that we have talked to for the past year to celebrate our one year anniversary. Can you believe it's been a year?
0: <laughs> I can't believe it. It's I, I really can't believe it. Did you think we'd make it this long?
1: I did because I thought it was a great idea for a show, <laughs> but I'm it now we are here at a year and it's 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 a pretty big deal. Um, and then, um, so yeah, our guests today are going to be, of course, Parker Malloy, who Caitlin already mentioned, um, Tara Field, who is, of course, uh, one of the trans women who was at the center of the Netflix stuff going on. We've got mm-hmm. Jude mm-hmm. Doyle coming on, uh, Sarah Luderman, and Emily St. James, who you might know as Emily VanderWoof. She recently changed her last name. And um, yeah, and so as we're having those great conversations, throw in your questions, and we're going to kind of start taking some questions from the audience now.
0: Yeah, um, well, we wanted to talk about uh, Spotify before we got started, right?
1: Uh, we Yeah, we, we can we can start to talk about Spotify, absolutely.
0: I mean, just a little bit. Uh, I've been wrestling with this ourselves because, of course, we put our show out on Spotify, right? So we had a little conversation about what we were going to do with that, and, and I think we decided that we were kind of too small to make a difference in that <laughs> but like what are your thoughts on that? <laughs>
1: um, so I, I have I have some messy thoughts that I am still working through so yeah. the, the cancel daddy is gonna be messy and if you want to cancel me that's fine <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I think that we are pretty small and I think this is something that I have been struggling with as someone who is in the podcasting industry for a while, you know, Spotify, uh, gives Rogan a lot of money. And so it's a little bit, um, it's, it's a little bit different than just kind of the streaming, but you know, you have Apple podcast and they put these shows like on their top podcast list. Like Mm -hmm. that is and that's one of the biggest ways that people actually find podcasts is going through like Apple podcasts, like top list, which is why you kind of see a lot of the podcasts that are, get really big stay big. And they're kind of like the same shows keep being recycled. So and so, yeah.
0: yeah.
1: But by, you know, like Apple putting that in their rankings, I would argue that's, you know, obviously Rogan is only on Spotify now so it's a little bit different but by Mm -hmm. like putting those in the ratings like Apple is platforming a lot of this hate as well and so I don't think it's an issue that is exclusive to Spotify Mm -hmm. Um, and you know I think that there are a lot of like really value like I I I hear the efforts to um, like pick another streaming service for your music and I think that you know Spotify is like perhaps the worst and so yes absolutely do that but like it's it's a bigger structural problem with capitalism and not like, yeah. I don't know. I feel like all of these issues, like Spotify is bad. It's like, well, Spotify is bad, but also like capitalism is bad. And that's, it's not like we can just use another service and it's suddenly good. Yeah. <laughs> like,
0: yeah. Ugh. Yeah. I think I'm right there with you. And and I don't think it would do anybody any good if we were just like going to say, we're not going to be on Spotify anymore because like you said, it's a problem for a lot of different platforms, but, um, yeah, so, uh, I, yeah. So
1: I will say, um, <laughs> that, um, one of the things that I have been thinking about and then I kind of brought up is like, okay, like who I actually tried to di- divest from Spotify a few mm-hmm. months ago or like, uh, like several months ago. And then I got a new vibrator that syncs okay. with music. All right. And it only syncs with Spotify music.
0: Oh, no.
1: (laughs) It only works with Spotify. So I'm stuck.
0: So you have to cancel your vibrator?
1: (laughs) I mean, here's the thing. I'm I'm going to, like, I think that if you, like, you shouldn't be paying for Spotify. But also, I'm a hypocrite and recognize that I am paying for Spotify because of my vibrator. And I feel like I have to own up to that. You know, I have to own up to the ways that I'm flawed.
0: You know, I'm pretty sure my mom is watching this broadcast, so... I hope my mom's not watching Thank you for that, by the way.
1: What did you say, Caitlin?
0: I said thank you for that, by the way.
1: (laughs) You're so welcome. You're so, so welcome, Caitlin. Uh, My my video's
0: already distorted, but my face is literally turning red right now. (laughs) (laughs) Um. (laughs) Oh, God. Okay, well, we started that off with a bang. (laughs) Do you want to, um, do we have questions already? You're the one sort of monitoring the question side, so.
1: Yeah, so um, Alice asks, is there a more pathetic example of someone actively trying to get canceled than Ricky Gervais?
0: No. Okay, so did you all see that? By the way, I'm wearing uh, our official merch for this show love it this is my favorite sweatshirt um yeah so for those of you who didn't catch the news uh comedian ricky gervais who has hosted what is it the golden globes i think in the past i could be getting that wrong um he basically was like my next uh my next comedy show is basically designed to get me canceled right and it's just such a naked marketing ploy at this point point. and like we talk about Um, we talk about, like, the cancel culture, grift economy. It's a real thing. Like, there's a huge difference between, like, random people on the internet. We talk about this all the time. Random people on the internet who, um, are getting ganged up on and, you know, these comedians who actually court getting canceled because they know it'll boost sales by X amount, right? Um, so, no, there isn't a more pathetic, I think, uh version uh, of the cancel culture grifter than Ricky Gervais. I think his whole existence is designed around trying to get canceled and it's pathetic.
1: Oh, oh, that's fair. That's fair. I was going to say maybe Glenn Greenwald, but...
0: (laughs) (laughs) Great. Now he's going to tweet about us. Thanks a lot.
1: (laughs) I'm so sorry.
0: (laughs) I mean, you could put a whole bunch of other people in that category. I mean, Barry Weiss is right there also, so... Um, I think those two kind of go hand in hand these (laughs) days, which is interesting. They absolutely
1: Um, do. Yeah. So want to hear, um, some of your questions. Um, someone asking what are the biggest cancel culture questions that you struggle with?
0: I think it's, uh, We did an episode a while back where we were, like, trying to... We were trying to, like, define what cancel culture really is, right? Because a lot of our show is meant... Or is designed around, like, talking about what cancel culture isn't. You know, it's not the latest conservative outrage of the day. You know, it's not um, random comedians, like, facing criticism on the internet. But, you know, we do talk about how like internet pylons happen to just random people right so finding that line between you know what actually is like quote-unquote getting canceled and how it affects people's lives differently i think is right at the heart of of everything that i have trouble with with it how about you
1: Um, A new thing that I am struggling with is that I feel like a lot of the outrage around cancel culture and like kind of our reactions, we are like misdirecting our rage um, at like individual actors and companies rather than larger systems. Um, And it distracts us from like actually solving (laughs) some of these problems. And so I think that that's something that I'm really struggling with and that I want to be talking more about as it relates to all of this, because I'm really interested in like, uh, I don't know, thinking a lot about um, creating positive change and what that looks like right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think we have time for maybe one more question, if there is one. I get the notifications on my phone, so I see it's popping off.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Someone asked, um, what will the verb phrase that will replace getting canceled, cancel culture, and can we coin it here? I don't think I'm going to come up with something right now, but I think that that can be a goal of the show.
0: (laughs) That's right. We should do an episode on that, really, I think. Um, But yeah, because we we had, uh, you know... um, We've talked about this before where, you know, what we consider cancel culture used to be PC culture for a long time, right? And it was Mm -hmm. a backlash against, you know, PC this, PC that. I think it went through a phase where call out culture was kind of substituted for cancel culture. So we've gone through different phases of it, although I would say call out culture is slightly different. Uh, is a slightly different context than cancel culture, but each one of them has, uh, has had, oops, excuse me. Everything te- good? First technical issue of the day. Uh, let's take a break. Okay,
1: but before we do that, someone said Nobody maybe- can see
0: my camera, so we should take a break.
1: Okay, we're going to take a break. Hey everyone, we are back and we are being joined by the incredible Parker Malloy, who is the author of the present age newsletter, which you can read at readthepresentage.com. Um, If you're not familiar with Park Rogers' work, she's also previously the editor um, at large of Media Matters. And we recently had her on the show to talk about the war on Christmas, which was such a fun episode. Thank you so much for joining us again.
2: Hey, thanks for having me. That was uh, it was fun talking about the war on Christmas. It's one of those topics that is uh, permanently burned into my brain. Caitlin,
1: I want to let you know our audience is letting us know that you are muted, that they can't hear you. Caitlin's gonna deal with that for just a moment. Parker, what are the big uh, cancel culture questions that you have been asking yourself lately?
2: Oh, uh, I one thing I've been thinking. So one thing I've been thinking a lot about is yeah, um, because watching the nonsense that happened with with. Uh, with, with Caitlin was very interesting because I have been in that position many times and it is not fun watching, watching people kind of freak out over what was very clearly a, a mistake in her tweet uh, right. was, was very bizarre. I mean, just today there was a guy who responded to something she tweeted with like a screenshot of it and just, I don't know. I th- I responded to it. I think I tweeted something like, "What are you doing with your life, man?" <laughs> and it's it's just it's really it, it's frustrating because I think a lot of it is you know most of us if if someone criticizes me if someone comes to me with some valid criticism or even if even if it's harsh criticism I will take that criticism to heart. I might not always agree with it. I might not always change what what i think or what i say or what i do based on it but i will take it take it to heart and Mm -hmm. i think that that's what's important when it comes to criticizing things that other people say and do but there's always this point which with caitlyn it happened where you had people who were responding to her who were saying uh who, who were just making these weird demands bringing it up and she would respond saying okay what what do you want what do you want from me and they would say something very vague like i want ac- accountability or i want i want you uh i want you to lose your job it would either be some, something super vague or something super over the top and <laughs> uh and and that is something that i've been trying to wrestle with because while broadly i think the idea of you know cancel culture just generally is kind of overblown especially the way it's talked about in conservative media where it's like oh you cr- oh you criticize Joe Rogan that's cancel culture it's like no it's not he's he's gigantic he doesn't he doesn't <laughs> know i mean other except for the the funny thing is i went back and looked and and he <laughs> and i had a conversation on twitter back in like 2014 where i was just like hey man i don't think can you be better about trans stuff and and at the time he was he was like, "Oh no, I'm, I'm totally pro trans, just with the exception of uh, sports." And uh, I was like, "I just, you know, try to do better." And now he's like having his show where he's just like, "Trans people might be the end of civilization." And I'm like, "Dude, how did you slip this far?" Yeah. <laughs> you know, in addition to all of the the anti-vax stuff and the nonsense, but yeah, I think for the most part, the the concept of cancel culture. Um, is, you know, the way it's, the way it's often used is as a way to sort of deflect away from legit, you know, issues, discussions, disagreements. Cause we can, I can disagree with someone online very, you know, we, we could strongly disagree with each other and it's not an attempt to cancel each other. It's just, I, you know, I am arguing in favor of my ideas and they may be arguing in favor of their ideas, but it seems like in sort of the conservative world the the Barry Weiss the 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 substack type you know areas of the world um which uh the present age is on Substack. so here i am hypocrite <laughs> <laughs> um but but you know like so you you've you've got that where they just kind of deploy it as mm-hmm. as a it's a tactic it's it's not calling attention to something that's happening it's it's playing a card to stop you from criticizing them because mm-hmm. that happens a lot now i mean there are a lot of times where yeah, i'll see something online and i'm like oh, i don't even want to say that i don't like this tv show because someone's gonna be like oh so you're trying to cancel whatever mm-hmm. cancel this movie um which is kind of funny because i i usually only say if i talk about a movie i'd be the worst uh movie critic ever because <laughs> i tend to just be like that was fun like it could be the worst movie and i'm just like i'm like it was good i mean and i which you know maybe some people would like that just all positive reviews it's it's the opposite of my approach to literally everything else in life (laughs) um
1: so Caitlin, the haters tried to cancel you from your own show.
0: Oh my God. It was my definitely mistake a joke on that I'm OBS from the audience. and <laughs> definitely a first time, uh, growing pain here. Um, I, I am not an expert in streaming, so please forgive me for that, but I think I should be good now. <laughs> um, so, uh, why don't we see if, uh, our discord has some questions for Parker?
1: Yeah. Um, Alice is asking, having a large Twitter follower account seems bad, but also part of the job <laughs> for journalists. Can y'all talk about how you deal with that?
2: Um, yeah. Yeah, sure. I can do that. Um, it's it's kind of a nightmare. Um, but it's one of those things that every, I think about it constantly is just this, this idea that, because I think I'm at like 247,000 mm-hmm followers, which is kind of weird because that's the number I've been at for like two years now. Yeah. I feel like we've reached peak Twitter followers for me. (laughs) Peak Uh, (laughs) Twitter. You know, it's like as I as I gain followers, others leave because they're like I I just don't get it. Um but the one thing that's really tricky about it is that I tried for a long time I tried to be very, very accessible. Someone would have a question, I'd be like, cool, I can answer it. And now it's like, like I'm pulling up analytics.twitter.com because I'm curious. Okay. (laughs) So, uh, mentions so far in February, uh, which has been three days,
3: Mm
2: -hmm. um, 829. I mean, that's, that's kind of, kind of a lot, (laughs) um, New followers, negative eighteen. Yeah, that's the stuff. Uh, <laughs> but okay, but for, so for example, um, in uh, January, seventeen thousand seven hundred mentions. So there are some people who will tweet like, "Oh, you ignored my you ignored my tweets." Like, like, "Geez, I didn't even see your tweet." Yeah. Um, and I think that that's that's kind of a challenge. One thing I was I was thinking about recently when it comes to um when it comes to trying to deal with my online existence and just generally i mean when you're on twitter and you're tweeting at someone i tend to think of it as like cool i am just saying this to one to this person that i am tweeting this message at or whatever but to the person on the receiving end of that especially if it's criticism Mm -hmm. like if you get like like if I say, "Hey, I thought that last that article you wrote kind of sucked," mm-hmm. that's not like a huge deal. But if um, a thousand people say that to you, like it feels like you're in a room surrounded by people just hurling insults at you, yeah. even if the individual ones aren't that aren't that much, aren't that bad. And yeah. so I've I've been trying to like trying to think about my relationship with the internet generally and uh it's uh, it's it's a tricky balance to find because it's twitter is not great for my mental health i don't you know i think that's probably pretty common mm-hmm. um but at the same time i need it to try to get people to subscribe to my newsletter mm-hmm. or you know to to read other things i write places and anyone listening to this i would really like it if you please subscribe to my newsletter um, and I think it's yeah, my favorite
0: it's, Substack. Well, thanks. Even I though mean, I like, can't afford to subscribe to Substacks at the moment. <laughs>
2: I mean, like, so I, I try to put because I'm happy if people free, paid, whatever. Like mm-hmm. there's, you know, I I kind of think of it this way: it's like the people who pay are helping cover the cost for all the people who read for free, um, which is wonderful. And I'm just amazed that anyone pays. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if they didn't, then I wouldn't be able to do it. So. glad they do um but free subscribers it's it's great it's i really enjoy being able to interact that way where i can send out a big newsletter email and and people i get a lot of really nice responses i get a few few angry responses Mm -hmm. too like i didn't like this article i'm unsubscribing and i'm just kind of like i'm sorry (laughs) yeah
0: Um, I, i write for medium and i get just Everybody and their grandma <laughs> has an opinion on my work, especially, yeah. you know, uh, the stuff that I typically cover. Yeah. I was going to say, we were talking about Twitter accounts, and I remember when I first started following you, and, like, my writing career was, was starting to grow, yeah. and you were so nice and welcoming to me, and I'll always be thankful for that, but I remember thinking distinctly at the time, I was like oh, wow, Parker has 30,000 Twitter followers? Oh, I bet that's amazing. I wonder what that would be like to have. And now I'm sitting here, like, double that now, and I'm like what was i thinking <laughs> yeah
2: I, there's there's a misconception i think a lot of people have that they're like oh if you have a you oh you have a blue check or yeah. oh you have you have all of these followers you could it's like okay here's here's the thing i have less than 10,000 free subscribers to my <laughs> newsletter which means that only one out of every 20 twenty five people mm-hmm. who follows me on Twitter is actually subscribed to my newsletter. So it's like I don't have the power to be like to command a quarter million person army or anything. Yeah. It's like I can't get them to sign up for a free newsletter. <laughs> um let alone like yeah. launch into a weird harassment campaign. I mean, I am not I am not Glenn Greenwald. <laughs> I, I am not Tucker Carlson. But oh, God. you know it's yeah, I, I, I try to make the best of it. And w- what I was kind of saying wa- was was with, with the newsletter, sending, sending those out and then getting individual emails in return, which I do take time to respond to as many as I can. I have mm-hmm. an hour blocked off of my calendar every morning that just says respond to uh, comments and emails. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I do. I spend an hour writing emails back to people because I kind of consider that part of the... The whole the whole thing the newsletter thing yeah and that is a way to keep a conversation a one-to-one exchange That's instead true. of just blasting it out to the whole world um because i can always just kind of not look at that email address mm-hmm. if for some reason it just got spammed you know
0: yeah so so parker this is much too short of a conversation um we do have to get to our next <laughs> guest but we'd love to have you back on the pod at yeah, some point of course. again um, congrats
2: on congrats on the, the the success with the podcast. Thank and you. All of that <laughs> stuff, and I will be.
0: Anytime you want me to come back, I will. Okay, we'll keep that in Great mind. Definitely. You, Parker. Thanks, Parker. Cool. Thanks. All right, we're gonna take a short break, and we'll be back with Tara Field.
1: Hey everyone, we are back, and we are being joined by Tara Field. You might remember that we had her on the show back in, I believe it was November. She is a former Netflix employee who was a systems engineer who was at the center of the internal pushback against the transphobic Dave Chappelle special. And she left the company in November. Right now she is on the hunt for a new job. So if you're an employer that doesn't suck, you should consider hiring her because she's (laughs) great. Thank you so much for joining us, Tara.
4: Thank you. Uh, I think my video is a little choppy, but it usually clears up. We've been having some Comcast issues.
0: Yeah, so uh, all of our videos have kind of been going in and out uh, throughout the evening, and we're just going to ignore it. <laughs> awesome. Um, so how have you been? Can you kind of give us an update uh, on uh, everything that's happened since you are on the show? It doesn't have to be sure. too, too in-depth, but we just want to get a sense of where you're at now
4: yeah so um you know I, I resigned from Netflix at the end of November. Um, you know we kind of resolved everything there just in terms of my employment and I decided to take some time off uh, and then I spent most of December figuring out how to take time off because <laughs> yeah. I have never I have never actually done that. <laughs> I have been full-time employed since two thousand three and I was faced with like a day where I had nothing to do and after a couple of days, my partner's like, you know you're just filling it with other work right and I'm like, is that not what I'm supposed to do?
0: <laughs> a little birdie tells me that you play a lot of fire emblem.
4: <laughs> yes, I, so my, my partner has uh, been trying to get me to fire three houses. Wow. Yeah, so I've been I've been having a lot of very lovely tea parties.
3: Oh, that's uh, amazing. You know.
4: Yeah, so uh that that has been a lot of what I've been doing the past couple weeks because my partner's been trying to get me into it forever and I'm like I don't know. It's just not clicking for me, and then all of a sudden, I'm like, "No, I want to do my like little gay tea parties now." So,
0: <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you about your former employer, if that's okay. Sure. Did you catch the other day that the human rights campaign uh, took um, Netflix off of their list of best queer places to work?
4: So uh, funny, funny enough, uh, both of my former, my previous two employers mm-hmm. were removed from the list this time. Really because I worked for Netflix and before I worked for Netflix, I worked for Activision Blizzard mm-hmm. and they were both taken off.
0: Oh wow. Okay. So I missed that Activision Blizzard was taken off, but I'm actually kinda of glad was... to hear
4: that. Yeah, I was actually a little surprised. I didn't get much coverage. Um and it, it's funny to me just because they were one of those companies that love to trot out like how many great place to work lists they're on and it's like, well, you were on them all, and you were hiding sex pests. So I guess those lists aren't worth very much.
0: Yeah, what's the statue out front of Blizzard HQ that had the phrase that the company pretended to believe in? <laughs> oh, it had
4: eight of them. It's the, There's an orc out front of Blizzard HQ.
0: Yeah.
4: And, a, and a, you know, every voice matters, and commitment to quality, and all of these. You know, there are eight of them. And uh, I, I know a couple people would just... Uh, we're just putting new ones out, like covering them up with paper that mm-hmm. said what they actually meant, and that was uh, that was a that was a pretty fun thing to see.
0: Yeah. So, what do you think about um, you know lists like HRC? I mean, of course, today there was news that HRC was sued by their former executive director for racial discrimination. So, like, I I've always sort of taken the HRC list with a grain of salt. But do you think that? queer people looking for jobs with bigger employees uh, actually take that list seriously?
4: So I don't know that, uh, I don't know that I really know any queer people that have taken those particular lists into account Mm -hmm. um, when they're looking for a job. But uh, what I have seen is just how many, like it feels like those lists are very much made for cis people. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Like, and, and so I, I like it in that uh, I like people being taken off those lists in that the people being taken off are also cis people and will be mad about it. But practically speaking, like <laughs> I think we all have our own whisper networks that we don't really need HRC to tell us like where is a great place to work because all of us are just going to message somebody and be like, hey, what sucks when we work here?
1: I also just wanna like say that like the, the parent company of Fox News
4: has a perfect rating and so just yeah, complete seriously. bullshit like <laughs> you No know, I'm sure I'm sure that I'm sure that Tucker Carlson is out there just joining every single Pride ERG meeting at uh at Fox News. It's probably super inclusive. <laughs> <laughs> I was... Oh I hope not. I
0: really hope not. <laughs> no. <laughs> I was wondering, um Are you still, like, do you still get crap about the Netflix stuff, like, online?
4: So, I haven't, uh, it it died down Mm -hmm. probably, like, probably, like, in December, it died down as the attention span of the trolls moved on to other things. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, every once in a while, you know, my, my block party will light up with a couple people and it'll be somebody who is, like, so tragically behind on the times that they're responding to like a meme I posted like three months ago. And it's like, I don't even have to reply to you. If you're replying to my three month old memes, you've already lost.
0: Yeah, seriously. (laughs) Um,
1: Do I have time for a question? You do. Um, Tara, I have been really thinking a lot about like rest and I also have struggled to rest and have recently come around to to rest and being able to enjoy rest and, and stop. And I'm wondering what what have you learned with that about rest or with that time? Like is there is there anything that you feel like yeah, this time has been good for in, in terms
0: of
4: that? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So one of the things is like just how wired my brain is for like productivity is what I am for, right? Like, Mm -hmm. even if it's not like I am not providing value to an employer, it's, ooh, well, I need to be handling projects in the house and, you know, taking care of talking to contractors and all of these things. And like, it it took me a while to realize like that rest and, and, and relaxation and recuperating uh, are actually things that have value on their own. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, you know, there's just this like, and and I think it's like heavily American like culture around this of like, no, your your job is to contribute back, and you know, uh, if you're not doing that, you're you're providing less value to society or something. And it's like, you know, I actually don't think that's true at all. And I think taking a break is probably the best thing for me and my family. So I, you know, I, I focused on being able to do that. And it did take me a while before I got comfortable doing that. But uh, I did eventually get to that point And it, it's actually been really nice. And uh, I, I watched a, a TED Talk about from like 2014 about burnout and how long it actually takes you to recover from burnout. And I realized like, you know, much to my horror that I think I'm still recovering from my burnout from like three years ago. I don't think I ever recovered, and certainly I didn't during the pandemic. And so I've been actually really trying to focus on that so that when I get my next thing, I'm actually like excited to do a job that I used to love. And now I think about it and I'm like, no, I don't really wanna touch computers right now.
0: I totally, yeah, I can totally relate to that. Uh, I realized I was burned out about three months into the pandemic. Um, And I think back to what my life was like just before the pandemic, I mean, I was traveling all over the country writing stories and, you know, I had a couple of medical procedures and I was visiting family. And then when all of that shut down, it was like, oh my God, I I don't think I can maintain that same level of productivity through all of this. And I literally haven't been able to uh, since then. But I'm actually interviewing for a couple of jobs that I would absolutely love to get uh, that would be really amazing. I can't say anything about them. Uh, But now I'm thinking, like, can I get myself back up and into, like, the mood for productivity? I think that I can. I just hope that I haven't forgotten how.
4: (laughs) Yeah, and I... (laughs) Well, Good and I think uh, the the real upside of that is that all of the trolls that told you that they wanted you to lose your job, you'll now have one to lose. I know. So that'll be great <laughs> for them.
0: <laughs> you know what? I had I literally asked in, in this one interview that I had, I said, you know, if a bunch of idiots on the internet get mad at me, am I going to lose my job? Like, And this is something that I ask oh. all of my employers because I don't want to deal with that. <laughs>
4: Th- that has been uh, so I- I've interviewed I don't know I've done initial interviews with like seven or eight companies at this point like uh-huh. I haven't done a lot because I- I've been trying to keep it to like companies I would actually like feel okay working for and that's not a super long list right now mm-hmm. but like there have been so many times where uh, they've, they've so uh, what 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 why did you leave your your job at Netflix and I'm like uh, here's this. New York Times article. <laughs> like, what am I supposed to say there? Like, yeah. wait, you didn't Google my name before we did this? Like, what? Right. Okay. Like, uh, that's going to be a really awkward conversation. And then later, yeah, I'm, like when I've, you know, the times I've talked to like hiring managers, I've been, hey, if this happened here, uh, what would happen? Because it's probably going to yeah. happen if, you know, like, and, and that's actually one of the biggest considerations for me it has been like, do I want to work somewhere that has a public platform at all? Mm -hmm. Do I just want to go be an engineer at, you know, widget corp 9,000 where nobody will ever care what they say on the internet and kind of just put my head down and and do some work or do I, but part of the problem is I love doing the work around like inclusivity and everything in addition to my engineering work. But like, Mm -hmm. I think I probably need, a little more time uh, recuperating before I have that battery again, because uh, I was like, you know, there's that gif of like the battery walking across a screen and the indicator gets further and further down and he starts crawling. And I feel like I'm the battery at the end of that gif still. So,
0: yeah. Um, Oliver, how about uh, audience questions?
1: Yeah. Um can you talk about the way that high-profile conservatives who have been quote-unquote canceled are smothered with potential opportunities versus reaction to people like Kara who have to job hunt and deal with the aftermath um, after leaving uh, amid a controversy?
4: Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's interesting to me because, uh, you know, there there are plenty of people who have messaged me and been thankful and, you know, oh, I think you're great and, uh you know, I, I, we would love for you to work here. Let's do your interview process and whatever. But there's certainly not been anybody who, you know, every everybody who replied to my tweets saying, uh, "Oh, you're just doing this for clout and whatever." It's like uh, I don't know, like anybody who's gone through the like internet 15 minutes of fame that thinks it's a good thing, right? Like <laughs> there were times, there were times where it was a little fun, but those were like isolated moments mm-hmm. and not the entire experience. And, and I think it's interesting that, you know, meanwhile, you know, I'm somebody who I am told that I am good at my job. Meanwhile, you see conservatives who are in particular like pundits and everything else who fail spectacularly at their job and then end up like, you know, the next week working somewhere. Uh, I, I can't imagine it was a very thorough interview process yeah. there. And so, you know, that's been, and it's also been a little rough just doing that right after because interviewing itself I actually, I wrote an article, uh, a blog post about how much interviewing, at least in tech, but probably everywhere just kind of sucks. Um, yeah.
1: (laughs) I don't know. I had some tech tech roommates last year and they told me about the, the interview process for y'all. And, and I mean, all job interview is bad, but it just, it just felt like a different kind of hell. So I just, I just want to affirm that that might be a different kind of hell.
4: Oh, yeah. And like whole companies have sprouted up around the like interview industry and tech. And it's like if you have companies sprouting up to uh, make your interview process even more awful, like maybe you all need to go back to the table and rethink this.
0: So, Tara, uh, like I said to Parker, this interview is much too short. Um, but we, we certainly appreciate uh, you coming on and, and being a guest of ours. And of course, your support of the show um, is always appreciated. How can people sort of follow you? Or how do you want people to follow you um, if they just yeah, discovered so, you today?
4: Yeah, I'm uh, Rain of Tara uh, on Twitter and uh, Terrafield.me is links to all of my stuff. And uh, also, happy, happy anniversary to you two. Uh, Thank you. This podcast is awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Tara. All
0: right. Once again, we are going to be taking a short break. And
1: is, is Jude up next? We'll be back with Jude in just a minute. Hey everyone, we are back with Jude Doyle. He is the author of the comic Ma. It is a horror series that explores the anger of those who are trapped by society's expectations and the monsters that are born from that collective rage. Whew, that sounds, I'm really excited to um, get the series that is coming out in the collected edition this summer because I relate pretty pretty hard to some of those themes, and I'm very excited about it. Um, If you're not familiar with Jude, they are also a columnist at Medium, and you can find uh, his work at com. And you might remember that Jude was on the show about a year ago to talk about Substack. And uh, because we live in the capitalist (laughs) hellscape that is uh, America, that has not changed. Um, And we're
3: we're probably gonna be talking about that a little bit.
5: <laughs>
0: yeah. Yes. Yeah, uh, so so sub- yeah. Substacks reared its head again.
5: up killing people in like some innovative new ways. Yeah.
0: You know? so. Um. So why don't you talk about sort of how they sort of <laughs> jumped back into the news cycle for us uh, again just recently. <laughs>
5: Right. Well, Substack has, at this point, what seems like a pretty firm ideological commitment to just not moderating their content in any way whatsoever. And battles over content moderation are pretty routine for platforms. You know, this was Twitter's thing for 10 years, that they were the free speech wing of the free speech party. People have been lobbying, you know, Reddit to get those upskirt forums taken down or whatever. People have been willing, you know... People have been basically asking the internet to take down terrible, harmful shit since there's been an internet. But Substack, sort of after being very, very heavily criticized for building up this whole network of extremely lucrative, extremely turfy newsletters, Mm -hmm. has now, you know, created their brand, which is Substack, the place where you can't be censored. And do you know who uses the place where you can't be censored is the people that... kinda need to be censored. So (laughs) um they're they're they were called up by the Center for Countering Digital Hate, I believe it was, Mm -hmm. for hosting like these anti vax newsletters and these uh coronavirus disinfo conspiracy theory newsletters that were generating, you know, I think in the words of the report, at least 2.5 million a year. Alex Berenson is one of them. We've known about that for a while because like Wired reported that not only was Alex Berenson on there, he was somehow being hidden from the leaderboard. And there's an amazing quote from the CEO, Chris Best, where he was like, Chris Best said that Berenson was not being hidden. It was the result of a technical glitch, although he couldn't say what the glitch was or when it was identified or when it would be fixed.
0: Like uh, yeah. no- <laughs> I'm guessing that <laughs> I'm guessing that they just hit him, <laughs> yeah
5: <laughs> yeah this is like amazing. This is like your kid is like hiding the cookie behind their back <laughs> because you caught them stealing it like they're not that good at covering up their failures as a as a collective, but um. So, you know, they sent out their comms VP to write a really long tweet storm about, like... Well, you know what? We just don't believe in censoring people. We believe in seeing people that we disagree with. Mm-hmm. A Substack writer is a writer who can tolerate disagreement. For example, we don't really know if science works. What if the anti-vaxxers are right and we're all wrong? What if we silenced everyone who's ever oh been wrong God. about anything? What would we do? This might not be safe, but neither for that matter is the sea. Uh, which is a truth. That quote was wild to me. It like,
0: <laughs> What is yeah. that doing in corporate communications?
5: I know. It's it like... just like, and it came right after a Harry Potter reference. It was like, there was a Harry Potter <laughs> reference. And of it course there like...
0: was. Yeah. And it should be my noted too. the that...
5: floating y'all? <laughs>
0: <laughs> it should be noted that that communications person is married to somebody who works at the Heritage Foundation.
3: Oh my. Yeah. Of
5: course.
0: Yeah. Um, I don't have her name offhand in my notes. I apologize, but uh, Linda yeah,
5: will survey, I believe.
0: Yeah, if you look in her Twitter profile, it like links to her husband's Twitter, and it's Heritage Foundation. So it's like, oh, I wonder where all of this is coming from. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the other irony of it too is like, two hours later, she was like, "No, we don't. We don't allow like sex workers on our platform, or like." uh things that we consider pornography and it's like oh so you do censor something yeah.
5: like it's it's the typical you know substack pose which is that like they are taking this extremely ideological and i would say explicitly right-wing stance at this point like chris best is out like having chats with megan kelly and the parlor ceo you know against cancel culture. But the reality is if they think they're going to get hit by Fosta Sesta, they're not going to allow boobs on their platform. Mm -hmm. Right? Like it's it's strictly about limiting their liability. They are 100% going to censor any content that gets in the way of the bottom line. But they have figured out what Alex Jones figured out, what, you know, Joe Rogan figured out, what a whole bunch of grifters have figured out, which is that people will pay to have their hate reinforced. Mm-hmm. People will pay to just enter a cocoon or, you know, a rabbit hole of information that feeds their specific hatred of specific marginalized groups. There's no reason to shut down the transphobia as long as people will pay for it. Mm-hmm. And what you know, stands out to me is that now there's also no reason to shut down the COVID denialism mm-hmm. if people will pay for it. You know, like, that's the thing. If you have decided that it's okay for your platform to be the fucking cornballer where people are getting hurt or even killed by what's happening there, mm-hmm. you know, like, there's the, the brute reality of capitalism, the brute reality of anything for the buck, as long as you're not strictly legally liable, you know... That's that's eventually going to expand. That is going to ex- expand and it's going to cause more casualties than just trans people.
0: Yeah, I mean, there are blogs that are devoted to doxing trans people. Just random trans people. Not even public figures. Like, I've been doxed. I've talked about it on the show before. Like, it's a thing that I'm kind of used to at this point. But, like, Graham Linehan's out here, like, posting dating profiles of just random trans women who never consented to being the center of attention of of a hate group and he makes god knows how much money on Substack And, and this is the same damn issue that we talked to you about a year ago and I don't understand what this contributes to you know liberal discourse or whatever bullshit defense Substack wants to come in with
5: Right. I mean, it doesn't because it eventually makes it very, very hard for anyone who isn't just an extremely angry transphobe to participate, to be on those platforms. You know, Substack is actively weaponized. There are trans people being, you know, like, forced signed up to really shitty emails without consent. There are, you know, people... Bombarding the comment sections, all of that stuff that makes platforms unsafe for marginalized people is happening there. What stands out to me Mm -hmm. is that this sort of, I don't know, ideological defense of like, we refuse to moderate our content. um, Really, it, it does not coalesce with their other thing, which is that they're saving media from the unseriousness of Twitter and the appeal of the pylon and the quick hot take. Like what the fuck do you think Glenn Greenwald has ever written in his life? (laughs) Most like maybe 2016. He's never written anything but a cheap inflammatory hot take. That's who he is. Yeah. That's what he does. He's the angry Twitter man. You know?
0: It's funny how often his name has come up just tonight.
5: (laughs) Well because we're this is this is the meeting where we cancelled Glenn Greenwald. I'm sorry, Glenn. You knew this day would come. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh uh, yeah, well, we're definitely we, getting we angry have, to it. The
1: Dude, <laughs> um. I have a question for you. This is kind of one of the, the bigger questions that I deal with and I'm wondering if you have any guidance or strong opinions that you would like to share. Is that like Um, So, so, you know, taking out like the, the funding aspect of it, right, the way that a lot of these platforms are funding transphobia and other kinds of hate. But if we're talking about just like what, what, um, how to kind of deal, like how should corporations and kind of these, like what is the ideal, like how do they deal with these kinds of things? Because one of the things that we see is we, you know, we see on Twitter and Instagram and a lot of these other platforms that that sex workers and trans people are often the first people censor, censored, right? Mm-hmm. And then eventually, if there's enough, you know, outrage, you know, President Trump's Twitter might be pulled down, and they might start to get rid of some of the biggest white supremacists, even though there are a bunch of other folks still doing that stuff. And so, yes. I'm wondering, like, what what do you think? I don't know what 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 do we do about that because when we're calling for censorship of censorship we're we're talking about getting rid of hate speech right? right so often the the corporations will use that to also um censor folks on the left we saw with Facebook they had they were like oh well we've got to make it equitable and so even though really right wing folks should be more censored we're we're also censoring like you know, and so, like, what what are your thoughts on that?
5: No, and I mean, this is a conversation that's been going on for a long, long time, like since the 80s and 90s, when, like, Andrea Dworkin and Catherine McKinnon were pushing these, you know, intended to be feminist pornography ordinances, but when you push that, the first thing that happens is that the lesbian magazines get banned, right? That these things that are intended to control speech in positive ways wind up being used and manipulated pretty much exclusively to shut down marginalized people's speech because we are the ones who get surveilled and categorized dangerous and you know straight cis white guys can pretty much do whatever they want um that is A valid distinction that if you put up you know like a little filter on twitter that says that you like can't say fuck you know that's that's not going to actually intelligently remove the nazis from the discussion they've got like their whole little slogan where they don't have to say fuck joe biden they've figured out how to fool your algorithm you know like but like that said i think we also are coming to an understanding that these tools are not, and by these tools I mean the internet, I mean media platforms. They reach into our bodies, they affect our lives, and violence that happens there is real violence. It is happening in the real world. Like if you think about, you know, the Reddit upskirt forums that had to be taken down. That's not, you know, if you are taking non-consensual You know, nude images of somebody and posting them online, that's not free speech. You're not speaking. You are, in a sense, in a very real way, sexually assaulting that person. You know? And I think that we can make a distinction between what is merely, I don't know, repugnant to us or what is merely offensive to us. I'm not necessarily a fan of Game of Thrones, but I'm not out there, you know, just like, George RR R. Martin, you must be canceled. Put you in the dungeon, <laughs> remove this, remove this piece of art from existence, sir. You know, but when somebody is actively misleading the public or actively inciting violence in a way that we know is going to get someone hurt, we understand by now, because we've all lived in a universe with kiwi farms for long enough that the, un- the internet makes a sport of dogpiling trans people often specifically trans women and the goal in many cases is to make those people commit suicide that is that is not free speech that is violence spreading disinformation and lies about trans healthcare the ROGD bullshit <laughs> or you know claiming that you have a map of every clinic in the country that is transing the kids, you know, or saying that Planned Parenthood sells baby parts for that matter. These are all connected. Saying that Planned Parenthood sells baby parts, you shouldn't get paid several million dollars a year to do that because sooner or later, a guy with a gun is going to go into a clinic and shoot some people.
0: Which has right? happened many times. Yeah. Yeah.
5: But, uh, you know, we can make a clear distinction between offensive speech, rowdy discussion, people saying, you know, dirty words or posting pictures of boobs or whatever, Mm -hmm. and stochastic violence or disinformation that is likely to cause real world harm, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and I mean, I don't know, if I knew how to do this perfectly, I would be, you know, I'd be on a yacht with Jack Dorsey. He'd be telling me about his cleanse. We'd be, you know, like just hanging out. I would I would be a very powerful man if I knew exactly how to do this. But I do think that like an intelligent person can make a distinction between I disagree with this and this person literally just sits on the internet all day looking for trans women yeah. that he can expose to harassment and violence.
0: It's really awful. And um, I, I think we have time for yeah, we have one question audience question. The...
1: Oh,
5: no. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> Sorry. So, did I just like... It's okay. Do you think that other platforms will spring up to do something similar to what Substack has? Or perhaps uh, do you have any predictions uh, on any existing platforms that are going to make a similar
5: turn? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that it is what's really like, making to me is when you read like an article in Politico and it's like it seems that there's a market need for these contrarian opinions like media is a losing game it's mm-hmm. real hard to make a living and this particular newsletter platform for whatever reason advertised itself as like this is the gold mine mm-hmm. get in now while well, the getting's good and you can be rich and you can make a million dollars off of blog posts and Whatever it's, I doubt it's sustainable in the long term. Yeah. But people, the the almighty dollar is is having a really major influence on this conversation. Where I think a lot of people are unwilling to back away from Substack because they think it might get rich, and they're unwilling to back away from these really hateful, sort of gender critical voices because you know they think, well, if Glenn Greenwald is what makes money, then shouldn't I be more like Glenn Greenwald? Like capitalism yeah. is at a very, very bad effect <laughs> on, yeah. on people's ability to, you know, see straight here.
3: Yeah.
5: But um, I think that, that this is going to be a problem that is endemic to all platforms mm-hmm. for quite a while. We are just sort of living in a universe where people are increasingly using their own reality and only listening to those voices which give them the facts that they want to be true. hmm with Substack, because there's just like a big payout attached to it, because there's the financial incentive, it's gotten particularly bad. But I think, you know, this is, this is again, a problem that's going to extend far beyond just this one yeah. sort of dopey newsletter platform.
0: Jude, we always appreciate your time, and uh, thank you so much for coming on.
5: Thank you so much for having me. I hope I wasn't just like... No, you were really great. Running.
0: No, anyway. we, we love having you on. <laughs> always a
1: delight can't wait to see you again jude thank you so so much for coming
5: oh yeah it's been a pleasure
0: see ya see ya and uh to the audience we're gonna take another short break
1: we're back hello we are so excited to have sarah luderman back on the show they were one of our very very first guests and so it's such a treat um if you're not familiar with Sarah, they're the caregiving reporter at the 19th, which is a nonprofit newsroom focused on gender issues. Um, Sarah is a brilliant reporter and a must follow for disability justice issues. You can follow um, her on at Sluderman on Twitter. That's S-L-O-O-T-E-R-M-A-N. Um, and like I mentioned, one of our first guests on the show, uh, we talked about the train wreck that was CS film debut about uh film debut music and how it harms autistic people um sarah thank you so much for joining us again i'm excited to be here it's my first live stream
6: so i'm gonna be like real awkward <laughs> really really awkward i gotta
0: tell oh, you too. this is our first live stream and it is already awkward so don't even worry <laughs> about do- it
6: <laughs> how, how do you do fellow kids
0: <laughs> i owe you like a lunch or something i think <laughs>
6: no i think i i think i owe you a lunch is that I think you bought it last time it was it's been like two years because of the pandemic i know so i've <laughs>
0: been so socially like uh checked out that i just people ask me to do things and i'm like yeah sure and then it just never happens so i apologize for that but um so the last time you were on we talked about sia and i think she was in the news again did you catch that
3: yeah
6: i did what,
0: uh... what were your thoughts on that
6: so, I I guess um I guess like to get serious for a little bit yes. and like like content warning like I'm gonna talk about like some mental health stuff and suicide so it's gonna be less fun for the next three minutes probably like just go get a drink or something if you don't want to talk about this stuff um, so uh, I guess she had some like significant mental health problems and like mm-hmm. went back to rehab and had a suicide attempt. Uh, according to her that she told media about after music flopped Mm -hmm. and um and yeah so i mean like i feel bad about that like i don't i don't like i've had some i mean i've I've, i'm pretty public about the fact that i've had some significant mental health issues too so like Mm -hmm. i i feel a lot of empathy for her and like i don't um like i don't want anybody to experience those things but also the movie still sucks (laughs)
3: that's <laughs>
0: fair um,
6: yeah. uh, and actually my friend Eric Garcia who's uh, mm-hmm. also autistic and um,
0: is a reporter favorite. at
6: the independent yeah
0: one of my favorite uh, twitter follows
6: he got into like a weird slap fight with Kathy Griffin about it on twitter
0: wait I missed that
6: <laughs> oh man it, I, it, was, it was like yeah, so I guess, like, Kathy Griffin, he was talking about how much he didn't like the movie, and Kathy Griffin responded. Um, it, yeah, which was like, I don't think anyone expected that. Um, and uh, Kathy Griffin really liked music, apparently. Um,
0: well, let's see. Kathy Griffin, uh, she signal boosted, uh, like, my surgery fundraiser, actually, back in the day. <laughs>
6: The thing is, I actually really like her. Like, I think yeah. that, like, I, like her and Anderson Cooper were the best New Year's Eve show. Like, I'm kind of, like... I like, And she's also probably one of the few people who actually for real got cancelled. Like, where she did something and then her mm-hmm. career took, like, a really huge, huge dive. I like, think it's just, like, her and Colin Kaepernick are, like, the only people who have ever for really for real That's been cancelled.
0: That's true. That's very so, true. Like,
6: so, like, I mean, like, I... I like her. I just do not agree with her about this movie.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, that's definitely fair. Um, and I think, uh, Oliver, you had something that you wanted to ask Sarah, right?
1: Um, I had a couple things I wanted to ask Sarah. Um, but are we, um, did y'all, did y'all touch base about the COVID stuff? Was that, was that a yes? Or no, because I have something else that's lighter we can talk about.
6: Oh, I can talk about COVID stuff. I don't remember talking about that in advance, but also I have a memory made of cheese. So
0: I think we're good to go with some of the COVID stuff. Okay, cool, and cool. We can always transition yeah, I mean, if it's if it's not working.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, one thing that I, um, I've been thinking about and I've been seeing a lot of, and this has kind of been an ongoing thing, um, but especially with you know, we've had these phases around COVID of things like opening up a little bit, but then, you know, folks are going around without masks, folks are, um, the, the state isn't kind of encouraging uh, folks, like, and, and making sure that folks have what they need to stay safe and stay home. And I'm wondering about how, like, government um policy and kind of the way we're moving through this is keeping disabled folks um who are high risk out of public life and kind of what yeah um i was wondering if you were open to kind of talking a little bit about that yeah of
6: course so um there's kind of i actually wrote a piece recently about kids specifically um Mm -hmm. that sort of explores the complexity of this because i think that people think of it like like in a very binary way where like ever either you know, if you don't wear a mask, then you hate disabled people, or if you want to do whatever, like, it doesn't, but the thing is, like, there's actually a lot of what we call competing access needs, so, like, the idea behind a competing access need is that some people with some kinds of disabilities need some things, and that actually might conflict with what other people with disabilities need, so, like, for people who are immunocompromised, like, they really need everybody to wear a mask, but then, um, I wrote a piece for Slate before I started working at the 19th about... Folks who actually can't wear masks because they have, um, there was one man I spoke with who, uh, he's got cerebral palsy and he just drools a lot. So the mask just gets wet really quickly. And it's like, not like, he can't really do it.
3: Mm -hmm.
6: So like, it's, it's like a situation where like, there are some people who really need everybody to wear a mask. And then there's some people who actually for real can't wear a mask and not for like weird whiner reasons because Mm -hmm. they think it's going to give them brain poisoning or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, it's... I don't know. So, like, there's a lot of stuff like that that's, like, really complicated. Um, The piece I wrote recently was about school closings, where, like, there's some kids who, like, they need everything to be 100% remote. Like, they can't be around other kids right now because it's too dangerous. But then, on the other hand, there are kids, you you know, who are using special education services who need, like, hands-on, one-on-one instruction from a teacher. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... And then there's kids who are both. So it's just, like... It's just a mess. Like, there's just not... Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of clear guidance. A lot of the policy doesn't seem like it's designed with, like, people with disabilities in mind. Everybody talks about, like, wanting to protect the most vulnerable, but, like, structurally the stuff to actually do that isn't happening.
0: Um, I was talking to um, my oldest daughter who's in middle school, and um, we have a phone call every Sunday where we talk for, like, two hours, and it's literally my favorite time of the week. But last week she was saying, like... You know, I asked, well, "What are you looking forward to at school this week?" And she goes, "Seeing my friends." And I was thinking, "Oh, like she misses them from the weekend." No, it turns out that her friends had, like, all of her friends had missed the week before because of COVID. Yeah. And it's like this is such a mess. And yeah. I, like, I'm sitting here as a parent, like, really thankful that my daughter hasn't caught COVID yet. But I'm almost looking at it as a when not if scenario, and like. My daughter's not even special needs either. So it's like, I I don't know how to handle this as a parent, (laughs) if that makes sense. I don't
6: think anybody, no, nobody does. Everything is just completely bananas right now. And the government is not doing enough to like actually deal with things, which is really frustrating.
0: Yeah. I mean, what could they be doing better?
6: Uh, well, I mean, I'm not a public health expert. Mm -hmm. I know from speaking with different disability advocates, um, I know a lot of people would really like there to be vaccine mandates. That's very politically unpopular for an assortment of reasons. Um, I know a lot of people would like there to be some kind of federal mask mandate. That's also probably not going to happen for a bunch of political reasons. Um, Mm -hmm. I know there's a lot of folks that would like, uh, You know, like, I mean, there's just, there's just a lot of things that need to be done. Um, Mm -hmm. And and some of those things are in contrast, like requiring that everybody wears a mask when they go into a grocery store means that someone with an intellectual disability who can't wear a mask can't go to the grocery store.
3: Mm.
6: Um, And so, and for some of those folks, like, that's like the only, uh, that's like, you know, that's like their social interaction that they have. And so without that, they're really like missing out on life. Yeah. All right, it's really
1: depressing <laughs> so so to if we want to bring it up a little bit I know that you want to um you want to cancel elf <laughs> which is my oh, favorite man. Christmas movie so <laughs> Please explain your stance oh my god we're having our first fight <laughs> <laughs> okay I, uh, I
6: guess so for people that were present for this because they're not logged onto the internet at all times um, <laughs> over Christmas I saw Elf for the first time and um, there were just a lot of like jokes about Buddy being a special mm-hmm. needs Elf that I just really didn't enjoy uh, and I tweeted yeah. that and then what followed was like several days of men who were very upset that I wanted to like cancel Elf it's like they're like you hate Christmas and I'm like I can't no, I just don't think this one thing is very funny. Please please stop yelling at me. <laughs> like
3: um Oh
0: my god. Although
6: I and, and I don't know, it was my Christmas break and like I was um I was staying at a beach house at the time and like I don't know, it was just it was just very funny, honestly, mm. like in retrospect. Like I my fiance at the, my fiance my fiance asked me like, "Hey, is that like stressing you out?" And I'm like, "No, it's just hilarious. Which like internet pylons aren't always like that, but just like everybody was just so ridiculous about it that sometimes all you can do is laugh. Like, Oliver, you like Elf? That's fine. <laughs> like,
1: you're like, getting some thrills. I like, think the criticisms that you have of Elf, they're ones that I agree with. Like, like it's there. There are problems with the movie. <laughs> also, you can like like
6: things and also criticize them, but I guess oh some gosh. people don't have space for that in their brains.
1: What? Like, concept what a concept sarah you know but, what but
0: I know. yeah you know what there is a third way and that's um, the way that i've chosen and that is to never watch elf
6: that is just one way to do it um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> i'm just not a huge will Ferrell fan honestly so i just I'm not
1: either i i really don't like him that movie's <laughs> great for for the most part, there are a lot of problems with it, but it's an enjoyable <laughs> movie. But I don't think Will Ferrell's good either. I think it's terrible. In my,
6: yeah, my future mother-in-law wanted to watch it together, and I was just like, all right, let's do it. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Usually we watch him up at Christmas Carol, which I like a lot more. Uh, no offense to Will Ferrell.
0: Oh, gosh. Okay.
6: <laughs> but, um, yeah. Offense to Will Ferrell. I mean... <laughs> Even if I did like Elf, it's hard to compete with the Muppets, you know? Like, that's that's just, like, that's not even a fair fight.
0: I'm loving the Christmas uh, movie discourse in February. This is just amazing. <laughs> you know, the best, part
6: is, the best part is I'm Jewish, so, uh, like, I never even celebrated <laughs> Christmas until I started dating someone who did.
0: <laughs> so, fun fact, I don't decorate my apartment for Christmas because I knew I wasn't going to have people over this year, right? But... Mm-hmm. My mom, I don't know if she's still watching, she sent me a Christmas gift this year, and it was two Santa uh, figurines, and I opened them on Christmas Day, and then I haven't put them away, so they are here. so cute! (laughs) And for a while, they were in the background over here, and I was like, you know what? I should take these down for the live stream, but...
1: (laughs) And then for everyone who is listening to the show after the live stream on the podcast theme, Caitlin just held up two two Santa Claus figurines.
0: Um her thing is like collecting Santa figures and we would love her for it.
1: <laughs> oh, that's really cute. Oh, I think it's cute. <laughs> Sarah, I'm wondering like what um as you have been doing the work that you are doing how cancel culture um has kind of intersected with it besides the ways that we've talked about I'm kind of curious I feel like it's permeating like all of these different parts of society and we're thinking about it in different ways um and I would just love any thoughts or about that
6: Well so like I mean a lot of the stuff I write about is very heavy I mean so like I write a lot about of the ways that the government is failing people with disabilities in our families i write a lot about sort of like the societal problems that lead to these kinds of breakdowns like the systemic issues and so like i guess like for me like part of why i like listening to the podcast is just because i feel like a lot of these conversations about cancel culture are just so goofy and like like Mm -hmm. so i don't know sometimes it's kind of like a like I'm not going to say it's a fun distraction because oftentimes it's part of this like ridiculous culture war that's like actually quite insidious. But like, yeah, I don't know. It just like feels like Tucker Carlson getting upset because the green M M&M and M isn't sexy enough is just very goofy. <laughs> like I don't know. Like, I mean, like I mean, like I'm, like I'm writing about I'm writing about like you know a kid who's deaf and blind and hasn't been able to use remote schooling, and Tucker Carlson's talking about how he doesn't want to have sex with the green M M&M and M anymore. Like. I,
0: Yeah, I I think it's a larger sort of... uh, I've written about this for the New Republic before, but um, it's part of this larger issue where Republicans are just like, no, we're not going to govern anymore. We're just going to lean into culture war bullshit. And this is one of their areas that they are leaning into, along with, you know, banning books and...
6: Making life harder for trans athletes.
0: Yeah, all of that stuff. Um, So, like, it's... uh, Like... I have experience also as a policy reporter, so I totally get where you're coming from. It's like, are these people even on the same planet as the rest of us?
6: Yeah, like I just, I just, I don't care about whether the green M&M is
1: hot. Like, I just, I don't care.
6: Sorry, (laughs) I need my sexy candy.
1: So,
0: Sarah, this conversation, of course, is much too short, but we loved having you on, and thank you, and I do think, going back to something that Oliver said earlier, I think you were our first guest on the show.
6: Possibly? I might have been. I think so. Correct. So it's it's great
0: to (laughs) bring it full circle and we definitely appreciate you.
6: Well, I love the podcast and I'm just really excited that it's like kept on keeping on for a whole year. So it's exciting.
0: We're excited and we might uh, do live streams again in the future. Who knows?
6: Happy. (sighs) (laughs) Cancelversary. That's great. (laughs)
0: All right, uh, we are going to take a short break, and we will be back with Emily St. James.
1: Hey, everyone. We are back with Emily St. James. You might know her by her former name, Emily Vanderwerf. She is a critic for Vox.com and writes so many smart thoughts and analysis. And just uh, Emily's cultural analysis is so on point. Um, She's also the co-creator of the Arden podcast, which is a delightful and weird fictional true crime podcast that you should definitely be listening to. Um, We had her on earlier this year to talk about the heartbreaking story of Isabel Fall and the way that the knee jerk reactions to her Her short story Attack Helicopter pushed a vulnerable trans woman starting to explore her gender back into the closet. Emily, thank you so much for joining us again and it's such a pleasure to have you on the show
7: i'm I'm so happy to be here um you know uh, it was it was I, th- my appearance on your show is one of the few podcasts I've ever listened to myself on. I hate my voice, but I <laughs> listened to that show because I was like I was really smart <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: yeah I mean personally it was i mean all of my all of the episodes are my favorite, but uh that one was right near the top of all our favorite episodes. Um, And this is like a pattern that we have seen play out. I mean, maybe not to the same degree as the Isabel Fall situation, but it seems like every other day there's another trans woman who has run afoul of the internet police. And I was Mm -hmm. one of those people at one point (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, not too long ago, which our last episode uh, that we released was about. Um, But yeah, like...
7: why does this happen? <laughs> it's like... I actually, um, there's a really amazing article that literally came out today um, mm-hmm. by uh, uh, Catherine, Catherine Cross, I think is mm-hmm. her name. Yeah. Um, and uh, she uh, did some academic research um, into, um, you know, why this stuff happens. And it's literally just like, Anytime you talk about one of these discourse things on Twitter or other social media platforms, you are like creating harassment. Even if you're like, I disagree. Even if you think you're stepping in defend, even if you're subtweeting, you are creating more harassment because you're making the circle of it go wider. Mm-hmm. And I was like, so all I can talk about on Twitter is what I had for lunch. We've come full circle mm-hmm. is what it is. I'm just, it's just for talking about what you had for lunch. Yeah. Um,
0: I just, I can't get over it that it happens over and over and over again, and
7: we just yeah. Yeah. don't, we never seem to stop, <laughs> <And> <laughs> ever. It not, like it, it does seem to happen <laughs> disproportionately to trans-feminine people. It does seem to happen disproportionately to people of color. It does seem, you know, it, mm-hmm. like, it certainly, when we talk about... Cancel culture, air quotes. Um, it, you know, we, we are we tend to be talking about um, people who have a lot of power who are being uh, yelled at by mm-hmm. people who are criticizing them, and um, you know, I I think that one of the things I I am I don't want to say I regret, but one of the things that I think is is interesting about the fallout of the Isabel Fall article is. I still have all my like columns that I set up in TweetDeck when I was researching that article, mm-hmm. so I'm still seeing people talk about Isabel Fall, and she has just very quickly become this is an example of cancel culture run amok, and like nobody's tried to learn the larger lessons of it whether you want to say those larger lessons are about the ways that transmisogyny operates or you know the ways that social media opt is optimized to create anger and hatred um both of which i think are totally valid things to take from that article or from her situation it has just become well you can't say cancellation doesn't exist because look at isabel fall and i'm like isabel fall has a lot of weird uh feelings about being associated with cancel culture and yeah. like I don't know I don't know we we have this we have this need as humans to boil everything down to a simple phrase and I guess this is the one we've settled on
0: yeah I'm kind of curious um like your 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 job obviously as a critic is very like mm-hmm. pay attention to what's happening in Hollywood and what's whatnot and the movies mm-hmm. obviously um so I'd love to hear sort of your your grander thoughts on cancel culture specifically how it relates to to Hollywood uh, um, mm. which I know is, is a departure from where we just were but uh, yeah I mean like how do you see this all playing out sort of within the the film and television industry
7: I don't I don't know you know mm-hmm. like uh, certainly there are there are people who can't get work um because they have said things that are controversial um gina carano is an example of somebody who said a thing that was right-wing and controversial but like she was saying an anti-semitism and she was like saying directly transphobic things Mm -hmm. and like she was like way way over the line roseanne is another example of someone who said something that was racist and you know was literally can't get work now Mm -hmm. but you look at someone like tim allen who has been like pretty open about his support of Trump, pretty open about, you know, why can't I say the N word, all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, he has literally said that in interviews and like, he still gets plenty of work, you know, he's still Buzz Lightyear. He they're doing Mm -hmm. a Santa Claus show with him. Um, he's, uh, just wrapped his nine season long sitcom, like cancel culture exists unless you're making money. And if you're making money, then you can kind of do whatever you want. Tim Allen is Hmm. an extremely successful person in Hollywood. Therefore he can just keep kind of doing what he wants. And I think he's better at walking the line than like Roseanne or Gina Carano were, but you know, Gina Carano was never at his level of fame. Roseanne was someone who had become kind of a, a a brick around the ankle of her TV show. Mm -hmm. So like they're, they're, you know, I I don't want to sit here and say nobody has ever been canceled ever because you can point to examples of it, but then you can look at like someone like Ed Asner, who in the 80s was mm-hmm. very um, open and vocal about his support of leftist causes and basically had his career tanked for like two decades because of that. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, I, I think it is... I think there is this weird um, belief because uh, nominally left people control a lot of the cultural mechanisms of America, by which I mean most of the people who make movies and TV shows are, are nominally liberal in some sense. Mm-hmm. There is this sense that like the left has a lot of power, but you know, you look at who's actually doing the canceling and it's usually right wing people. And I realize that like, that's the point of your show. But, um, <laughs> You know, I, I don't know. I don't, I've been looking at this, this Joe Rogan thing mm-hmm. with great like interest and how that quickly that's been turned into a canceling. And like, I feel like the, the, the word is now just being used to apply to absolutely anything that happens, <laughs> like I, like we could be like, okay, so, um, I'm going to say, you know, I disagree with some of the things Joe Biden did does and like now people are like well emily canceled joe biden good for her she did it (laughs) (laughs) wait a second that's my job (laughs) (laughs) uh, i don't know it just it's it's it is a it has ceased to have meaning Mm -hmm. you know as i cover how the industry talks about this stuff it's all just ceased to mean anything beyond like trying to get people to to feel sorry for you and to feel like you have said something brave and bold, but like usually the things that people are being canceled for are not that brave to say, you know, like, like supposedly. So the reason that, that Joe Rogan has come under fire has nothing to do with the times he's had, you know, people want to say that trans people are satanic ritual abuse, which is true, (laughs) by the way, we are. Um, Um it's like, you know, somebody who is spreading vaccine misinformation. And like it's not brave to lie. Like you're not like standing up to some bold like thing. You are saying a thing that makes people more comfortable because they feel like they don't have to be part of a society. Like 90% of the cancel culture things that that raise to that level are just people who don't want to have to care about other people. Mm -hmm. And then they say, you shouldn't have to get the vaccine. You shouldn't have to say a trans person's pronouns. It's a minor inconvenience for you. And you saying that is brave, actually. It's It's not fucking brave. It's just like inconsiderate.
1: Emily, one thing that I've been thinking about, especially like after, so... I've kind of been doing a lot of like healing work in myself and I've recognized that like Twitter just like triggers a lot of trauma responses. Like I just feel like Twitter is literally just exists to like trigger you and upset you. Um, and and kind of like, I've been thinking about that um, and I'm wondering like, I don't know, I this feels like a revelation to me, but I'm sure that other people have been saying this for years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, and i'm just kind of like wondering about um your your thoughts on some of that
7: everyone should get off twitter i'm on twitter everyone should get off twitter i everyone should get off social media platforms in general the more i this is more and more becoming a thing that i write about uh-huh. and it just it, they don't do anything for the world at all, you know, um, the, the, I, I sort of used to think that going on Twitter, I was exposed to points of view that I'm not normally exposed to, which is still nominally true. Mm-hmm. I go on Twitter, <coughs> I go on Twitter, and I, you know, follow um, people who are uh, in in the who um, are you know a neurodiverse or you know people of color or etc. Various communities that I'm not a part of, and then I can sort of get a window into through Twitter but because twitter turns the volume on everything all the way up you know uh, it is increasingly a place where everyone is just kind of yelling past each other and it has become this like mm. it's not an echo chamber like 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 people would have it be it is a um um what's the what's the name of the 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 thing it's it's a large hadron collider <laughs> like people are sending
3: <laughs> what their metaphor. thoughts
7: people are sending their thoughts into this thing and they're going faster and faster and faster and they're getting louder and louder and louder and then they collide and they explode and you never know when you're going to collide. You never know when you're going to blow up. You never know when this thing is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And then you accidentally might end the universe. Like that's a thing that could happen. Like you just might create a black hole. And and like, I do think there I do think there's some value to me, you know, being exposed to um disability rights advocates who are talking a lot in this era of COVID about people who are immunocompromised and things mm-hmm. like that. Like I think there's value to me hearing that. I don't know if there is as much value as there used to be because the whole thing has just become so optimized for people screaming that you don't hear anything helpful and like I have cut back on Twitter so much since I reported that article. And even mm-hmm. more as I've worked on some other stuff that hasn't hasn't published yet. Um, like I only am logged in on one device. It's the one I'm talking to you right now. So I can go and just like read you my feed if you want. Like if we want to do that to just close this out, I'll just <laughs> no, read you what no, people no. are tweeting about. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't have it on my phone. I don't have it on my computer. I do uh, most of my writing on I only have it here and it's on my work computer where I'm ostensibly not supposed to be that paying that much attention to it. And the thing is I tweet so much less. Like I looked at my stats, they've dropped off dramatically, but my followers have just been going up and up and up. So the secret to getting good at Twitter is to never tweet.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Wow. Where do we go from there? Uh,
1: We have a listener question. Um, Jess is asking um, that it's really hard to balance the idea of this thing shouldn't exist and this thing exists and has become fairly necessary for personal existence, Mm -hmm. right? Like I think that a lot of writers and journalists have to have a Twitter, right? Mm -hmm. Um, To kind of, and so how how do you balance the two? And like, you know, what about other things that other ways that that applies to your life. Like you're engaging in things that you're like, this shouldn't exist, but it does and I have to use it.
7: Well, I feel like most things in life shouldn't exist, but they do and we have to use them. <laughs> so... I agree just, with you. It's just, it is just, uh, it is just a, in that, like, like should gender exist? Let's actually talk about that for a while. <laughs> there are things about it that I like. There are things about it that I don't. Hmm. <laughs> I, I do think like, yeah, I mean, I'm still on Twitter because it is useful for me promoting my work at Vox, for me promoting my, my newsletter, for me promoting Arden, for me promoting the many, many things I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have come to realize that as I move more into um, other forms of writing, whether that's, you know, um, fictional writing or, you know, a longer form essay type things. Twitter is kind of necessary to promote myself Mm -hmm. in a way that like other social media platforms just aren't. And I really have wrestled with that. There was a time when I was like, I should just delete my Twitter. And then I was like, ah, but I need like, I need people to read me. I have Mm -hmm. 80,000 some followers. Like that is a huge platform. Um, I'm in the process of just starting to try to, to sell a novel and like a big, a big thing. That is working in my favor in terms of selling a novel. Is I have eighty thousand plus Twitter followers, yeah. and the publishers look at that and they're like, "Well, there's promotion right there." And like, I'd rather not be on Twitter. I think, I think the chances of stepping on a landmine right now are too great. But also, I get it. You know, I, I get, I get. If I'm a publisher and I'm thinking about taking a first novel from some random trans lady. I mean, I'm not just some random translating. I'm the random translator. (laughs) Uh, But like, like, uh, like, I think that. You know, her having 80,000 Twitter followers is like a get, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I don't know. I have my Instagram open to the public, and I get so many harassing comments there. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I should close this down. But then I'm like, but wait, there's more. <laughs> I can promote myself here. Yeah, I am mm-hmm. just, a, just a sponge to be whatever. So...
0: That reminds me of the Cancel Me Daddy Facebook page, which I started and literally never put content on,
7: <laughs> and yeah. somehow we
0: get followers on it.
7: <laughs> yeah, I had a I had a podcast that my wife and I did from uh, 2009 to 2015, very sporadically, mm-hmm. and our Facebook page for that is still up, and people still follow it. And I'm like, why are you f-? like? <laughs> I cannot. You cannot access those episodes. We took them off the internet. Oh, my God. You can't get them. And yet.
0: That's so weird. Yeah. Um, Emily, I mean, I feel like we could talk to you all night, but unfortunately, we only have so much time in this format. Let's do
7: it. (laughs) Really? Let's do it. (laughs) I want more listener questions. Come on. (laughs) Uh, But I feel like I didn't actually answer that. And, like, I think... I think the actual answer to it is you have to like come up with your own lines. And for me the line is I try not to weigh in on the discourse unless it's like yesterday Rudy Giuliani on the masked singer was like a thing that I was like I feel like I can weigh in on this. This is a narrow <laughs> thing that I can weigh in on but yeah. I'm just going to make a stupid joke. And that was what I did. And like that that I feel like using Twitter for making weird jokes is still like kind of safe. But you know, we're <laughs> gonna come for our jokes next, those uh. cancel culture people.
1: I I wish that I could, could learn from you, Emily, and not get sucked into the discourse. It's just, it's like catnip for me. It's catnip.
7: I- Yesterday, and I I did I feel bad about this because I did kind of tweet about it in in a sort of oblong way. Yesterday, the discourse on trans femme Twitter was about drag, um, and there's a number of people trans feminine people who are you know they have touchy feelings about drag because um, a very common thing that happens is you come out as a trans woman and people are like oh like RuPaul's Drag Race because RuPaul's Drag Race is this cultural object that people are aware of and then you have to be like, no, no, no. And that it makes it easy to start to resent drag. And like, but drag has this rich history in the queer community and spaces where gender performance is safe are really important for trans people discovering themselves, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And like, I don't know. I feel like who, who resolved anything from talking about that on Twitter? Who didn't just dig in deeper on the position they already held? Yeah. The number of things I have come to think about in a more nuanced fashion because of Twitter is, like, like maybe three. And, and that's over really? the years. And, like, I mean, I, I think there is a broader thing of I have learned to, like, look at other people's perspectives mm-hmm. on the world. I think that Twitter is occasionally good for that. But I think the Internet in general is good for that. And like that is a thing we should be striving to get back toward. I think if I uh, um, this feels like a total swerve, but um, there's there's this <laughs> thing that, that there's this thing that stream that streaming sites do. That's like you know it's it's February, so it's Black History Month. So I'm sure if I turned on HBO Max, they would have a section called like Learn More About Black Lives in America or something, mm-hmm. and it would be like a bunch of Spike Lee movies, and then like. Um, you know, uh, uh, the Lovecraft Country and like various things they have in their catalog that are made by black filmmakers and showrunners. Mm -hmm. And like the thing that um, I I wrote a story about this for Vox uh, last year Mm -hmm. (laughs) and about how frequently we treat reading the right books, watching the right movies, listening to the right podcasts, whatever, as a proxy for actually getting informed about how other people live their lives. And I don't actually think that's true. I don't think that anybody is really going to learn what it's like to live my life from, um, you know, I'm trying to think of a non-terrible depiction of trans women and blanking. Oh, gosh. From watching watching an Isabel Sandoval movie, from the perspective of, I'm going to learn what it's like to be trans. You should watch (laughs) an Isabel Sandoval movie because she's a great filmmaker and you want to watch great filmmakers um i talked to the the critic angelica jade bastion um who's terrific she writes at vulture uh, a vox sister site and she was like if you want to learn about you know um um if you want to watch more black filmmakers if you watch more women filmmakers if you want to watch more queer filmmakers and you're a horror fan why not just watch a broader slate of horror movies why not come at this from the perspective of i'm going to sit down and watch these filmmakers? Why not come at it from the perspective of, I am a fan of this genre and I'm just going to watch more stuff. I'm going to watch stuff from other countries, whatever. That is how I think increasingly about being exposed to other people's experiences online. Like it is less a question of, if you go onto a social media site with the specific goal of, I'm going to learn what it's like to be this kind of person. You can't do that. It just doesn't work. Yeah, if, you no. go onto a, if you go onto a site, or if you go into a Discord, I increasingly like, like Discords and Slacks. <laughs> if you go into a space where you have a shared common interest with a bunch of people, I'm really into tabletop RPGs, I'm in a bunch of groups for that, and I've met all kinds of people, and we like tabletop RPGs, and we play games together, I learn way more about them. From Mm -hmm. having this shared hobby, this shared interest. You know, um, a lot of people, I love horror movies. A lot of people love horror movies. Like that shared interest can be a a, a cultural language. And Mm -hmm. like, I don't know. I went through the awkward phase of transition the first two years where I was like, well, I can explain everything about being trans. The satisfaction of the cis. I alone can do this. And I just got two years in and I was tired. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to make a weird fake true crime podcast about this and then dare people to listen to it i'm just increasingly like like not convinced that we can solve this by being better communicators online i think we will solve this by being better communicators in small and close spaces whether those are digital or whether those are real or we're going to solve this by telling stories and um i don't know i don't think that talking about these things on on social media is necessarily a net good but i'm just one person
1: we have one quick question from a listener um what is your favorite tabletop rpg
7: my favorite (laughs) tabletop rpg um well i i think that i think that the best tabletop rpg ever designed um is a quiet Year by um so good uh, avery alder um avery is probably my favorite designer every game she makes is like so interesting and off the wall and a quiet air is kind of her breakthrough. Um, that the basic idea of it is you are people who have survived some sort of apocalypse. And now you have a year before the real end comes and you like are looking and figuring out, um, it's, you're drawing a map of this community and you draw playing <laughs> cards and each playing card has a question on it. You answer that and you draw it on the map and you're telling the story of this group of people and you know, they're going to die. There is a certain card that you will draw and everybody dies and mm-hmm. it's beautiful and it's heartbreaking and I love it. Um, And uh, that that's my pick. I actually think it's a good gateway game. I think people uh, frequently are able to sort of like get into the, the genre from that. So Quiet Air is my favorite of all time, but like I'm sure if you and I, uh, questioner, sat down and talked about it for, you know, uh, uh fifteen minutes, I would name seventeen other things. So <laughs> <laughs> And
0: uh I have one last question and that's from me. Hi Caitlin. <laughs> uh, um and that is do you think that there's a chance that this Amazon Lord of the Rings show can be good? <laughs>
7: Uh, you should have said long time first time. Uh, but uh, I don't know. Okay, I I don't think so. I'm afraid. But like I'm willing to be pleasantly surprised. It is really weird to me how frequently these enormous, enormous fantasy franchises that become adapted for television, the showrunners are just some random white guys. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, have written stuff. Like David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, <laughs> when they took over Game of Thrones, had not run a TV show before. But HBO mm-hmm. was like, here's a TV show. Um, and they had written stuff. You know, Benioff had written screenplays mm-hmm. and they were novelists and all this. I'm not trying to say they hadn't done things before that show. but And Lord of the Rings is like that. And that's always a gamble. When you're handing over something to showrunners who are inexperienced and don't quite know, you know how the whole thing goes, but like more power to them. Maybe it'll work. I have, I have Supreme doubts, but also, you know, I'm going to, I'm probably going to watch it unless it's yeah. just awful. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right,
7: Emily, thank you
0: so much for coming on. I mean, you're welcome. Like I said, we could talk literally all night and, Unfortunately, we don't have that kind of time, um, but we'd love to have you back on uh, in here in our second year of the show. Yeah,
7: absolutely. Uh, would you like me to take you out by singing some copyrighted Taylor Swift music so that you have to like pay for the rights? No, no, please. No. <laughs> I, I do not
0: want. I do not want a DMCA here on our first ever <laughs> stream. <laughs>
1: Such a delight uh, to see you, Emily. Uh,
0: all right. And we're going to take you. a short break and then we'll, we'll wrap the show.
1: Okay. K- Caitlin, are you ready for some out of context cancellations? Wait. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> we'll be right there, y'all. <laughs>
3: and we're back i'm dying
1: i'm dying right now that was great you're so welcome so we we just had so many conversations with so many fan and uh, fantastic guests yeah um how are you feeling right now caitlin i
0: gotta be honest i'm exhausted
1: (laughs) That is fair. That is fair. I was I was on a call for work before this live stream, and I was having really bad autistic burnout. Oh, and no. And somehow I have pulled it together.
0: You've been <laughs> so great. You've together. literally been carrying the live stream because I've been panicking about all our tech behind the scenes. It has
1: been great. No, <laughs> things have been going so great. Um, are you ready for some out-of-context cancellation? Absolutely. Okay. Um first one discord bot developers who have gotten into crypto. Oh my god, I'm so sick of hearing about crypto, but yes, we need to keep canceling crypto. Oh <laughs> is so much, so much. Um A-C- that-
0: ACC always cancel crypto. You heard it here first. <laughs> um
3: <laughs> And
1: then something else is we are gonna cancel shitty job interview practices, which I think we kind of canceled earlier today. Um, very, very of the moment. Yes. Um, and let's get rid of job hunting altogether. Just poof.
0: You mean like get rid of jobs or just the job yes. hunting process?
1: I, I mean, uh, yeah, work is only consensual. You don't have to work now. Gotcha. Right? Um that's amazing. Yeah, and you can do, do whatever that. you want.
0: Yeah, I already do that, so we're cool. <laughs> <laughs> I mean um <laughs> This next one I love so much. We are well, canceling like, the reply all button on office wide emails. Oh my god. It's about goddamn time.
1: <laughs> you, I'm gonna be really catty right now. Do it. I'm gonna be have it. so snarky. Okay. So for, for those of you who don't know, there is, there is a listserv uh there are listservs in the audio industry where people just like reply all <laughs> and have fights and get into drama. And like, sometimes, like often the person who starts the drama is, is correct because they're calling someone out for being shitty or not paying well enough. And mm-hmm. then there's just reply all forever of like shitty, like white people defending terrible pay.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I don't know. I'm going on a rant. Reply all yes. in office emails and professional stuff can be a lot. And I, I think it should be canceled. Yes. Yeah. Um, oh, this one. Okay. So we're also going to cancel chronic pain. Um, yes, please. I, I'm really, really tired of chronic pain. Um, yeah, totally. And also the next one is. The banks. We're gonna cancel the All of banks.
0: Them. Just wipe <laughs> out half of my employment history, please.
1: We have some listeners asking us to cancel their job specifically. Yes. Cancelled. Cancelled. Um also want to cancel premature death. Sure, yeah, we can do that. Um People with privilege and power not recognizing the fucked up power differentials or or even worse, recognizing them, um, but not doing anything about it. Mm-hmm. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Okay, sorry. Yeah, no, don't
0: apologize for that.
1: <sighs> um, we also are going to cancel mayors describing their approach to homelessness as sweep surge, which is like
0: really disgusting terrible phraseology it's like it's like when newspapers write that somebody was struck by a bullet fired from a gun handled by a police officer it's just like taking the humanity out of the situation a quick sidetrack on that like i live in dc and there's this one bridge uh in a certain part of town that that people who live in dc are generally familiar with where a lot of homeless people used to camp and the city came in and literally bulldozed these people's tents Mm. and they claimed at the time that it was to make the area uh more accessible to pedestrians but (sighs) instead like instead of opening up the way for pedestrians they just put up all these concrete barriers so that the people couldn't recamp so there's actually less sidewalk now there was before and like I walked through there dozens of times before the pandemic I never had a problem with any of the any of the folks that lived there and I just don't understand uh you know why we have to keep doing all of this
1: we don't and in fact we could uh we could use the money that we have as and, and fix all of the problems but unfortunately the politicians and want want to keep this whole capitalism thing so <laughs> but we, we could just fix it we could just give people housing I don't know speaking
0: um, of capitalism you can support our shit. no I'm just kidding
1: <laughs> <laughs> um Also going to cancel Joe Rogan and his podcast, which seems of the moment. Yes. Very of the moment. Very
0: much went into that. (laughs) (laughs) Already on the show.
1: And then last, but but certainly not least, though... Uh, not the most important one, yeah, probably the least important one. but mo but, but we'd like to cancel dishes and having to do them.
0: Yeah, if I literally turned the camera a little bit that way, you could see all of the dishes that have piled up in my kitchen, and I really hope my mom's not watching anymore because she'll probably yell at me about that.
3: <laughs> yep,
1: yep. no, I know, I know that life. I know that life.
0: <laughs> um, can I add my own? Uh, in context cancellation please do so uh, I have a very special day coming up on Sunday Uh, I am turning 40 years old (gasps) and I would personally like to cancel 40th birthdays forever so I could just stay 39
1: look there there is so much like negative stuff around aging right and that's fair and so I understand your existential dread about that (laughs) Also, like, like, I don't know, I like, you know, more about yourself in the world than you ever have. Right? And like, I don't know, sorry, I'm I need I need to hold space for your like, your dread. I just, I just like, want you to be embodied (laughs) and happy. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for you.
0: I mean, I'm gonna go to the grave regretting that I never got to experience my 20s as a woman. So
1: yeah, no, that's real. (laughs)
0: okay on that note
1: <laughs> I mean that is that is the biggest trans feel <laughs> um yes yes no um okay so we're gonna be taking a few questions so if you have them drop them in and in the meantime um I am gonna go through some of the uh questions that we missed throughout the mm-hmm. the live show and if you have any other questions let us know um So one person asked, is how much a person, or sorry, um, is how much of a person. Give me just a second. No worries. So, so the question is basically like how much of um, how someone can communicate in terms of like you know, being messy online, or having opinions about benign things, or making mistakes. Is one al- um, allowed to be online? Like how does that relate to
0: privilege? Um, Can you say that again It kind of cut out a little?
1: Yeah, so basically the question is like, is hows is how you're allowed to behave online yeah. related to social privilege? <sighs>
0: I do think that we get really wrapped up in these conversations Um, because like, I'll give you an example. The other day, uh, one of my trans friends was talking about their experience uh, with their doctor and prescribing hormones. And you know, my friend is a relatively successful white trans woman, you know, younger than me, um, and she was just mostly venting <coughs> her frustration. And she got attacked for it. You know, there's like, yeah. there were people who were like, well, you know, you shouldn't spread medical misinformation. You know, we shouldn't be listening to medical misinformation from random white trans women. And I'm just like, is that, is that really what's happening here? Like, this is just one person who, you know, had some issues with with how she was prescribed hormones. And now there's people like jumping down her throat, you know, accusing her of being privileged and things like that. I think that there are times when we need to step back and consider our own perspective in a lot of ways on things and how it might be different from others. I think that's badly needed. But I also think that like, sometimes we just need to chill.
1: A hundred percent, hundred percent. And I don't know
0: if that exactly answers the question. I'm trying. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, you're fine. I think that it's highly related to social privilege. Like, I think that, um, you know, there are certain people who get attacked more, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we've been talking about how a lot of times, like, people will dogpile on trans women, mm-hmm. right? And, like, I think that, you know, your social privilege does kind of... Does, like, if you have social privilege, that can protect you from some of that. So, yeah, I think that's definitely something all of it.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: and then um, who does Samwise, your cat, yeah. want to cancel? Because that is an, a very important question that um, listeners had. And I'm uh, very curious as well.
0: I'm almost 100% positive that Sam Wise wants to cancel me. Why? <sighs> because I don't feed him. I mean, I feed him, but I don't feed him like. Kaylin, why did I cancel en- you? No, no. <laughs> I don't feed him like fast enough for his liking.
1: <laughs> right. Right. No, my so, cat meows at me every morning. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean,
0: yeah. The, mine doesn't meow at me. He just like swipes his paw at me. And. um... Yeah, and my friend Abby in the ch- in our Twitch chat is going, I've met Sam Wise in person, and I take his side over Caitlin, so thanks for that, Abby. I'm canceling our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, like, uh, no, I don't know. We have an infestation problem in my apartment right now, and unfortunately they, the bugs love to get into Sam's food. So uh, if it's not me, I'm sure it's the goddamn bugs that we're having trouble getting rid of. The problem's improving, though, so at least there's that.
1: Okay, and then we have um, one more question, and then I think we're going to sign out the show. Um, you know, do you think kind of these uh, diversity groups, like the one that Tara was a part of mm-hmm. at Netflix, do they have a practical purpose at, you know, large tech and game companies or even other companies? Do they actually create any value for employees? Ooh. I have some spicy takes on this one.
0: (laughs) Um, I think it's complicated. I do think it's complicated, yes. I do think that ERG groups, uh, well, that's like saying an ATM machine, sorry. ERGs can provide some value in certain places where management is willing to listen. I got asked the other day from somebody who was like, okay, our company, who I won't name, uh, currently has an LGBT group, and the trans employees there are wondering if we should split off and have a trans only group. And their concern was their numbers are much fewer as trans people. But their voices get diluted in the LGBT group so it's like a balancing of needs and I was like you know honestly it depends on how seriously your company takes the ERG group you know the ERGs because there are some places where it's just a thing that people do to like pad their resume or whatever and there are other places where um, you know e- employee resource groups end up doing quite a lot to help you know, uh, management understand the needs of employees. So, I don't think there's a one size fits all answer to that question. Unfortunately,
1: there is, there is not, and I I agree with, with what Caitlin's saying. But I'm going to be a little spicy, and I will um, I
0: will note before you jump into that that uh, in my experience, uh, I've only had a handful of jobs since I came out, and I've always been the only trans person uh, at those companies. So. The ERG was me.
1: <laughs> yeah, so that kind of gets at one of the the big complaints that I have. So, uh-huh. So I think that they can, like, it is possible for them to occasionally help make a workplace a little more inclusive or less hostile. However, I think it's often just, in most cases, it's just to make the workplace appear less hostile, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's just like, and and actually it can set, a lot of times it often um, falls onto the people who are marginalized to do the work where it's unpaid labor, right? Um, for the company sometimes. And so um, I actually think that they can be very hostile to like hostile to, um marginalized employees and also like very like um like kind of hide hide and make the company look better than it actually is and make mm-hmm. it look more progressive than it actually is while the company is exploiting those workers mm-hmm. um oh hello sam Samwise sam Weiss has a my <laughs> um so yeah, I think it's very complicated because I do think that it can make very small improvements in individual people's lives. Um but I also think that um often the folks who are actually working in the groups are pretty exploited and overworked and that's really bad and that's actually making the work environment more hostile. So I don't know.
0: Yeah.
3: Mm. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> anyway um did, is there anything else that sam wants to cancel oh my god it, his tail's so cute i feel like i feel like sam like doesn't know this um but but sam also samwise wants to cap, uh, cancel capitalism with us i think really? i think okay. samwise okay. is an anti-capitalist kitty
0: are you an anti-capitalist yeah he's purring. He's such well, a good I boy except that
3: Such a good boy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think that's a good time to wrap. What do you think?
1: Yeah, thank you so much, everyone who um, listened to the live show. We really appreciate you tuning in. And yeah, this was great.
0: I wanted to do a couple of thank yous. Um, Eden MW designed some special graphics for this live stream. So I know we shout them out, you know, at the end of every show. I just wanted to add a special thank you for that. Um, of course, Daniel Schmidt made our theme song, which you've been hearing throughout the night. And then I also wanted to thank uh, my friends, Abby and Serena. Abby was our Twitch chat moderator for the night. And Serena was um, uh, the person in the green room, if you will, who made sure everybody's tech was working. So uh, big shout out to both of them.